You're listening to the Irish Times. A question, Pat. What would be the most Arsenal thing in the world? It would surely be to go and win the Europa Cup or Europa League <laughs> and gain a place in the Champions League next year and have every Arsenal fan on the planet really confused as to what to do with Arsene Wenger. Oh, would they be confused though? They would surely, surely the last few years have taught them that the last thing they need is a good finish to a season, a trophy winning end to a season where, you know, they win the FA Cup, Wenger hangs on and then mm, mid-February next year, we're back. We're back at exactly the same spot. Yeah, because a couple of the new signings do well. Mkhitaryan looks good, Aubameyang looks good. And then people are thinking, <laughs> wow, Arsenal could really do something next season. <laughs> Their 2-0 win last night in the San Siro, I think it's fair to say, not we, we weren't all predicting that one. No, definitely not. And I think in uh, Arsenal fans look at it, it's some kind of like a sadomasochistic relationship they have with the club at the moment. I don't think they exactly knew whether to cheer or not. Yeah. Because they were just flabbergasted by by how good Arsenal were. They were very, very good last night. The, I like I saw some stuff going around last night going, ah, you know, it's the, the clash of two faded empires and Milan are terrible now anyway. Milan are unbeaten this year. They haven't been beaten since December. Yeah, since they appointed Gattuso, they've yeah. been doing very well. They've at the very least been on an upward curve. Indeed. On At A Time today with me, Maliki Clerken, and you, Pat Nugent, we have a big game in Croker on Sunday. Dublin are playing Kerry. Kerry have a heap of young lads uh, coming up, and this is their first really, really big test. We have Darrow O'Shea and Ian O'Reardon to talk about that. We'll talk a bit of Galway Limerick and the Hurling as well. Um, but the big attraction of the weekend, of course, is the Six Nations game. Tomorrow, uh, Jerry Thornley and Gavin Comiskey are here to talk about it. Lads, thanks for coming in. Jerry, we look at the Ireland team. Uh, Ian Henderson didn't make it back in ahead of Devon Toner, which I guess to some people was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, um, most of us expected um, Ian Henderson to start with James Ryan. Um, it looked like it might have been the preferred choice from the start of Six Nations, um, all being fit and well, but uh, he's decided to go with Devon Toner. And I suppose he's looking after basics, you know, getting the aerial battle right first, making sure they win their lineouts, and putting pressure on the Scottish throw. Um, Devs are best operated at restarts as well, uh, receiving and both trying to regain them. And uh, he's the primary ball winner and has been, and has been Joe's go-to man as a primary ball winner. He's started, is it 43 of the 53 matches under Joe's watch and played in 49 of them. He's the most capped Irish player under Joe Schmidt. So, yeah, and you, then you've got Ian Henderson's dynamic impact from off the bench with 30 minutes to go, along with Sean Cronin, Jack McGrath, and, um, Andrew Porter maybe, and certainly it's, it's, it's got more impact on that bench. And the other interesting one is Jordy Murphy being called up instead of Jack Conan. I presume this is with a strong eye in the breakdown in case things get ropey at the breakdown. The Scots are doing damage there. Jordy Murphy is probably a better breakdown operator than Jack Conan, isn't he? Yeah, it's teed up though. For I just can't get away from Sean O'Brien getting back from his hip injury. Yeah, Captain Leinster. You're quite excited about this, aren't you? Um, well, because we almost as excited no as Sean matter, is. <laughs> well, no matter what happens this weekend, mm. going to Twickenham is a hellish place to go and win. I don't care what English team put out, and they're. And gotcha. I just thought shit when I saw the English team because they've, they seem to they're getting it right now, you know. Mm. But Sean O'Brien coming off the bench in Twickenham. And Henderson mm. and Porter and mm. McGrath. Mm. It just changed because they'll be bringing on Sam Underhill or whoever, you know. Mm. I know I'm jumping ahead here, but Sean O'Brien coming back into an Ireland team makes the Grand Slam a realistic prospect. I, re- I 
firmly believe. So. And do, do you think that that is it that simple that he's playing for Leinster this weekend with a with a view to the following weekend? Yeah, himself and Tygburn are going to go head to head at the breakdown tonight. Um, go watch it. You know <laughs> what I mean? That's exactly what we're going to see a loads of. Um, and Tygburn will go on tour to Australia in the summer. You know, mm-hmm. so there's two prime Irish probable starters if the team everyone's fit and healthy when come next season going at it in a little Pro 14 rescheduled match because <laughs> of the snow in Clenetley, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. If, uh, like, no offence to... No offense to bad, the snow might really have helped Sean O'Brien then, mightn't it? Yeah, he gave him that extra week. No yeah. offence to Jordy Murphy or Jack Cohn and all these guys, but if Sean O'Brien hits his straps, I don't think he dislodges Dan Levy, who's having an incredible season mm-hmm. and is, again, I've said it loads of times, best teenager I've ever seen. He's now 23, 24, and he's beginning to prove himself as a brilliant uh, international flanker but Sean O'Brien just easing into that game probably for maybe for Peter O'Mahony whoever's wrecked you know whichever back row is running out of gas that's Paddy's day for you but um, this weekend Alright let's not get too far ahead of ourselves you, I'm very you're, you're, you're about to start talking about the World Cup there Do we, we'll, <laughs> we'll just keep it to We uh, are going to win the World Cup Well clearly it? clearly but we'll we'll talk about that that Friday We'll just for this Friday we'll talk about this game um, The Scotland Jerry, I mean that result against England was the sort of result that, that we used to be known for. You know, you kind of toddle along and then out of nowhere get a result. Um, did they... It was a surprise, I guess. Is there much to learn from it for, for us this weekend? It was a surprise for sure, but um, I don't know if it was a total surprise. They've won nine of their last ten or eight of their last nine at Murrayfield. They really built up some very good home form, and the only one they didn't win in that run was the All Blacks, and they gave them an almighty scare. So you know they, they've come into this tournament on the back of some good form. They won in Australia last summer. Um, they, there was always a possibility that they could mug England. Um, it was it was seen as a banana skin from the start of the tournament, and that Scotland might do it. And they hadn't won the Calcutta Cup in ten years. Everybody gets so motivated playing against England. It's the team everybody wants to beat the most. It's France's turn this weekend, La Crunch. It was Scotland's turn two weeks ago. It'll be our turn next week. Wales had put a big performance into England. Everybody just loves to have a good crack off England, particularly when Eddie Jones the coach and they're back-to-back champions. And, uh, you know, England's form hadn't been good and it's now shown to be thus. And Scotland's they just played really well in the day, you know, that first half performance and even kept, they kept playing rugby in the second half even though they didn't get their fourth try. And some of their rugby was outstanding. Um, I think, as Joe Schmidt said yesterday, there's method in their madness. This this kind of a notion that Gregor Townsend is just, you know, give it a lash and everybody go out there and offload wherever you feel like it and just have a go. It's actually designed, it's a game plan designed to strike the opposition when they least expect it. If you look at... Uh, the turnover that led to the Sean Maitland drive when John Barkley goes in, goes over latches onto the ball and he's not cleared out. Stuart Hogg t- has a top penalty from the zone twenty two. Um, there's an offload from Sean Maitland which goes to ground after recycle it, and it's slow ball. And ninety nine times out of a hundred, a team will probably box kick there or okay. truck it up and then kick for length. And they go slow ball out the back to Finn Russell, who throws a pass like a meteor from outer space above Jonathan Joseph who's shot out of the line. And uh, it's the pass of the tournament. It's just a stunning pass. But Jerry, if he throws it again, Stuart, uh, Jacob Stockdale's going to intercept it in seven oh, points to Ireland. Maybe, maybe, maybe. It's there. maybe. If, he, if he tries yeah, that again, he's going to get maybe. done. It's still a stunning... I think, I think Russell's a liability. Yeah, I still think it's a stunning pass, as was his final pass to Sean pretty. Maitland. Yeah, and he's and a great top-of-the-ground player. He, yeah. He's magic, but he's, but what I'm he's sa- a total what I'm, liability. But what, like. I'm saying, what I'm saying is they, they deliberately struck England there. That was pre-planned, I would safely say. And likewise, when they go, they got the Hugh Jones try... Um, up the middle 
Um, three missed tackles. Yeah, it made I know. it made it makes you Jones thing, look like Brian O'Driscoll in two thousand and one. Absolutely, know I mean? yeah, very very reminiscent. It was three blatant but missed the thing, tackles. It, it came off a rolling maul that was going. Oh, sorry, it was the first try actually. Comes comes off a rolling maul that's trucking forward, and again most teams go on with the rolling maul further into the twenty two. They popped it out the back, and um, Finn Russell goes for a little grubber in behind just where the space is. They get a lucky bounce, but it's totally unexpected. England just weren't expecting that. Mm. Most teams take that mall forward, so I think there is method. So what in their is madness. that? Is that is that attitude? Is that is that just a general attitude that that their decision makers know? They're, you know they're not going to get castigated by by their coaches for trying things for for switching things, doing unexpected things. They have to. They're not going to beat in England any other way. And they're probably not going to beat Ireland any other way because they're probably only get, going to get 40% possession at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday. So they have to take it. They have to roll the dice occasionally. And in fairness to Gregor Townsend, as well as having a, you know devising game plans and there's method behind them, and Joe Schmidt pointed out the fact that his Gregor's Glasgow team kicked the ball more than anybody else in the Pro 14. Um, they, um, they, he stood by Russell when everybody was condemning him for his opening two games. And he really backs Finn Russell. And for Finn Russell to come out and play as confidently as he did, and as daringly as he did, on the back of his two very iffy performances before, is a tribute to Townsend's coaching methods. So I think they, they, will, they will do the same again this Saturday. They will roll the dice at certain points in the game and they will attack from deep. But Jerry, what's the alternative to Finn Russell in Scotland? Do you know what I mean? I see him as like a liability. Like If you're now listening to this, go Google the France-Scotland game in Murrayfield and the French try after two, three minutes. Teddy Toss turns, bouncing ball, n- no space, nothing to do, and Finn Russell appears in front of him and swats him aside. Bundy Aki and all the lads are looking at this going, I'm going to soften this guy up. We're going to get to him. He got turned over three times on the floor. For all his brilliance, mm-hmm. uh, there is no other option in Scotland for an out-half, and he is the guy that Ireland will target and win the game off. Uh, they win the game anyway, I think, off their own bat, but Russell is the... Like, he was badly exposed in Twickenham last year. He is... For all his class and his lovely hands, and his and he's maturing into a decent player, uh, he's fair weather stuff, and he will get exposed. Let's talk about us, uh, the Ireland team, for a minute. Um, the I, at times in this tournament, they've been so impressive and so on it, and so dominant, you know, in possession, and um, you know, kind of looking at times like they've overwhelmed lesser teams like France, like Wales, and yet. Last ten minutes of these games are nail biting. They're, I think, did I read somewhere that they've lost the last quarter in three of their last four matches, something like that. Like it's why? Why are they finding it so hard to put these teams away? Are we expending too much energy? Do you think, Jerry? Because we expend an awful lot yeah. of energy to get our scores. Yeah, Ireland are a twenty phase team to get them, and it's that's what they do. They have all that. Like Joe Schmidt got his back up when it got put to him that you bully teams, and it's all this one out runner stuff. Joe and he was like, "No, no, I'm not accepting that." Look at the world class stuff we do for Keith Earls' breaks, Johnny Sexton's breaks against Wales, the pass for Stockdale's try. So he came out with all the examples, but when you break it down. Ireland go through a hell of a lot of work just to get every score they do. They they do go straight up. They do truck it up. So come the last 10, 15 minutes, even with the cavalry coming in, they run out of juice, I think. There's an element of that, perhaps. I think also they've they've been well in front in the two home games as well. So that takes the edge off. There's, there was good pickups from you know analysts and studios about like Dan Levy not working hard off the ball for a box kick that led to one of the tries. Peter Armani not working back against Italy for one of the tries when the game was long since won. Are they shattered? Hmm? Is, is the sub-back row guy already on? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there, there might be an element of that. But then again, you know, the French game was a... a, a 
a, a very exhausting physical bruising battle as well and it didn't stop them putting together a 40, 41 phase attack to mm. pluck victory from the jaws of defeat so there was, I think there was just that there's a, when there's a mental edge to the end I think they're a better team that I just feel that they they certainly had the game long since won against Italy and they, they it looked like they had the game won against Wales but they let Wales back into it that being said they have um there's real issues defensively out wide in the, in the way that they bunch close to the breakdown and they get outflanked um, with unnerving ease sometimes. I think five of the six tries conceded happen out wide, um, misreads out wide, but their winners are being very isolated. And this is a problem that goes back. It's been sporadic on and off since the World Cup quarterfinal defeat to Argentina. And it is unnerving because when, when Wales were coming back for an, a fourth try and a bonus point win for themselves at the end, it ultimately came down to Jacob Stockdale rolling the dice. Mm. Gareth Anscombe probably shouldn't have rolled the dice in the first place. He should have just, that had gone through the hands. They were way up the pitch. And there was just, you'd almost lost faith in Ireland's ability to defend out wide at that stage. Um, and, and then th- bang, he runs, he, he hits yeah. the intercept. Yeah. He, he, Jacob Stockdale, Ireland are backing him simply because of his, like he's like all black try scoring record for a winger. What is he, eight eight tries mm-hmm. in six mm-hmm. games or something. But uh, eight he, and seven, he is a defensive yeah. liability. We saw it in the RDS against Leinster back in January. You know, he is, he is there to be targeted. Um, there's huge emphasis on uh, Gary Ringrose and his footwork and his he's actually was looked like at the end of last season that he was really getting a good handle on the out, the art of outside centre defensive play which is all about reading and movement and talking to your wingers and bringing everyone in it's the, it's the thing that Brian O'Driscoll did so well for so many years you know but um, if Stuart Hogg gets a bit of ball in open play or turnover ball that's where Scotland do us that's where this game becomes the potential nightmare you know what I mean for Ireland What um, do we think of Ringrose like very, very little rugby played now. Six games this, this season, yeah. yeah. Um, three operations, Gavin, in the last year and a half, isn't it? Yeah. He's not played ankle, a lot of rugby this season. Ankle, ankle, ankle trapped under under a body, I think it was Henshaw's body back in January there, just when he was... Cause just he, coming back. Just yeah. trying to get his yeah. form after two shoulder surgeries in July. But look at him against Claremont back in, was it April or May? And mm. like Joe Schmidt again compared him to his defensive mistakes that he made for the hog try in Murrayfield last year in February, which is which is fourth cap. He's eleven test matches now, and the leap he's made in those seven test matches, he was outstanding on the summer tour in June. Um, he just hasn't got to the um, the physical pitch yet. He hadn't got to it when he got injured again. Um, but he's such a class act. He's such a brilliant player. Also, I think he'll hit the ground running. He's, yeah, he's also he's been training with the Irish squad for much of the last three weeks, and some of those sessions will have prepped him for this game better than the, the fifty-seven minutes that he had against the Southern Canes because they'd be such high-quality training sessions as well. And I, they've all been saying Andy Farrell has said it, Keith Earl said Ringwell's been tearing it up. Joe said he's been training really well. So. Remember his try against Claremont last year? Oh, stunning! Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's so easy we forget because we see Jordan Larmer who's on the bench. Of course, but. But you, I wouldn't be. But too rust worried. is a thing, though. It's mm. a, it's a thing in in anybody that has played that little. Like like if he is rusty, how will that manifest itself? I thought he looked good against. Uh, Southern Kings doesn't really count, I know, and all that. And I was at that game, and for fifty five minutes till the, their tight head hit him late, and he had a, he had a bit of a knock and had to go off. He looked didn't look rusty. So yeah, I I don't have too much concern. I'm actually I think he'll be galvanised by the fact that Hugh Jones and him have to go are going head to head, and that Stuart Hogg is the major Scottish threat, and it's all on him to to guide that and make sure he stays connected to Bundy, stays connected to his wingers. And that's the one thing that Ireland have been exposed in the yep. Six Nations. That's the one thing they're going to, they really mm-hmm. worked on. Because you can't win the championship without nipping that in the bud, without fixing and that Hugh problem. Jones is a phenomenal try scoring record as well. I Hugh Jones is a really good player. Tests, Great know. story where he's come from South yeah. Africa because the Scots missed him. Yeah. 
And they, Gregor Towns have made a mistake by playing him at inside centre in the opening game against Wales. No, he's got, 13. He's 13. 13 yeah. And he rectified that next time out against France. And there he will stay at 13. And Peter Horn is a good distributor inside him. So you've got Hugh Jones and Stuart Hogg as attacking that outside centre channel and Russell floating those skip passes and them hitting the line. And it, it definitely is the area where you would fear the Scots most. But, uh, yeah, and uh, sorry, explain that from, from our point of view. Why has that been a problem for us? Just because we've been bunching, really, um, overloading the narrow side at times, um, just getting a bit too narrow, getting a bit too bunched and leaving a bit too much space out wide is the main reason. It goes all the way back to Argentina. That's been mm. the Achilles heel of this Irish team. Ireland get too narrow in defence and you can we've gotten torn open out wide. And is that Farrell? Is that Schmidt? Is that... Well, let's get it's it's there. And it was put to Josh Schmidt that it's Andy Farrell and he was like, nope. And straight as an arrow, he goes, he's a world-class coach. Which he is. It's he's on, it's on the, pla- it's the players not doing what he's, that they're being coached to do. He was very clear about that last week. With very little prep, the Lions restricted the All Blacks to just four tries and three successive home tests. Nobody does that to the All Blacks. No defence in the world has ever come close to doing that. They average over four tries a game. You know, he's a, he is a world-class defensive coach. Um, don't know why it is. Well, I suppose all the chopping and changing in there can't help either. I this mean, is the twenty-fifth different midfield combination in Joe Schmidt's fifty-three games. That's extraordinary. After it's, after after, after they essentially of just, ha- years of just one. Yeah, yeah. Most, mid, but the most game has changed. You know what I mean? Like, like we had it. There was kind of a narrative developing once we saw uh, James Ryan coming through. That James Ryan and Henderson. That's the second row pairing forever now. You know, but it's just not going to work like that because of injury. And like, you, you, there is no longer just a second row pairing. There's a hundred caps, lads. It's Dev Toner is only thirty one. He's going to keep going. The centres, look at them. They're all injured now. It's, yeah. it's back to Gary. It, the only two left are, are Gary Ringrose and Bundyaki. Next up is Sam Arnold. Um, yeah, okay. who's not ready. Mm. So, But Gary Ringrose is the guy you want at 13 for the foreseeable future every time he's fit. Granted, Chris Farrell was very good, but Gary Ringrose is the man there. So let's say uh, either Aki or Ringrose get hurt early on. Was it Does does Carberry come on there? So I, Joe put on, the last time he put Keith Earls in at centre, mm-hmm. and it was a mistake, I think, mm-hmm. because Keith Earls is, having, is in the form of his life. He's using hypnosis to be this, the, one of the best wingers in the world again. But when he went into 13, he carried up straight and got smashed. He's not a 13, Keith Earls. I think it's established. He's a mm-hmm. brilliant rugby player. He's a brilliant winger. Joe might, looks like Schmidt might put him in there. Larmer has been running a bit at 13 for Leinster and all that. So I reckon that um, it will be Keith Earls. But Larmer, not... Maybe Bundy Aki pushed to 13 with uh, Carberry moved into 12. I don't see that happening. No, it's I think more it's likely Earls. And then Larmer onto the wing. Yeah. Because that's what he's done the last time. Mm. So that's what I think he'll do that's again. That's another interesting change. And that's, a pro- that's a problem. Like, that, is a, that, is a, that is an area of concern if one of them gets injured. The cupboard's thin in midfield. Yeah. Well, it has become thin. Yeah. It, has been, it has been thin, thinned out just mm. through attrition, mm. really. But don't we want Larmer on the pitch? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Get him on. He's, he's an, an interesting addition there, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think Fergus McFadden has paid for um, his performance in the last game at home when he came in off his wing and didn't complete the tackle ball and all. And they got a try out of it. And he, he dropped one difficult ball that was fired at him. I think also that if it's any way tight and you need X Factor to win a game, you might as well be sprinting Jordan Larmer from the bench because the one thing the boy's got has got X Factor. He could he could step somebody in a telephone booth and he's got a, an un- astonishing capacity to s- switch off his left or his right foot at full tilt without even fractionally slowing down. It's almost like an all-blacks running style. It re- he really is a stunning threat on the ball. So if it's a tight game and 20 minutes to go, 
you you, you might you, as well be spilling Jordan. You don't Lambert think it's going to be a tight game, though, Gavin. You're going to be you're no, filling. No, I think the, that's party wise. There, yeah, though. yeah. You're yeah. filling the the Gordon Darcy seat here. Before the Wales game, he said Ireland were going to win by ten, and they did. So look, do, do you know? I was, I, was, I was talking to Tom English, who I think has a piece in our, our paper tomorrow about the Scots. Uh, what matters to them more than anything else is that they start to show up in Murrayfield on the road. So I think Gavin Hayson said it this week. He goes, "Going, we just need to stay competitive in one of these big games." Gregor Townsend's even they said got that. stuffed in Cardiff. They got this wiped out by thirty-four points in Cardiff, and they uh, were they shipped sixty in their previous six. They did win. They did win in Sunday in, uh, in Sydney yep. against Australia in the summer, but that uh, doesn't really count. Their away record in the Six Nations since the two, Six Nations started is, I think, played forty-eight, one-six, and four of those wins were in Rome. Yeah, and one of them was that Crow Park Isn't game. Is it that bad? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. had no idea it was yeah, that they, bad. They, they yeah. won in Crow Park in 2010 because Ireland I, I had the triple crown yeah. and made an absolute balls yeah, of that yeah, game. Yeah, yeah. But no, look, I think they'll be competitive. I think it's going to be really fascinating at the breakdown. Barkley against Levy, they'll both be getting there real quick. There'll be lots of things like that. But no. There's unless, no way. Unless there's the usual Murray or Sexton goes down in the opening 20 minutes yeah. and gets taken out. We're going. We're going one way here. It's a two-score win for Ireland, and then we're going to Twickenham. And when we look at the bench, and there's Sean O'Brien come back in, Larmer, Carberry, there's lots of excitement. I, I, it could be very like the Wales game that you'd expect Ireland might have sixty percent of this match plus in territory possession. Got to score more points this time. Yeah, they? they recycled. Was it one hundred and thirty-four of one hundred and thirty-five rocks the last time? Two men go in to clear out at every rock. The first two in, and they clear out, and will be tied them if they don't. It's just a non-negotiable with Joe Schmidt. Yeah, Darcy's calling was good on that on Wednesday. Wasn't it? Yeah, he covered. He now, was good about how he explains what it. England did last time out in Murrayfield was quite extraordinary. George Ford takes the ball up off a scrum. One man, Rob Shaw, goes in to clear out. Um, he clears out the first tackler. But he couldn't get he John Barkley. Barkley. Barkley gets over the ball. Yeah. Another occasion, one man clear out. Joe Launchbury couldn't shift Barkley, but they were going for one man clear outs. And it was extraordinary against huge. Barkley and Hamish Watson. Huge Not tactical mistake. No Joe Schmidt team does that. It's no. very. It, it's a systematic thing that they do not mess around at the. The other thing as well is that people like don't forget. Ireland should have beaten Scotland Murrayfield last year. That should have been a bonus point win. Ireland started badly and still left the game behind. I went through the stats. I can't believe it. they were seven. They won the ball seventy-five times in the Scottish twenty-two. They just didn't turn it into points, and they gave away some ridiculous drives, including that soft line-out try. And they have the memory of that. It was very interesting that Rob Carney said they spent a lot of time revisiting the Murrayfield ga- last game last year on video, and particularly the first 20 minutes. The Stuart Hogg bloody noses, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's what they, it's not the Scots do at the breakdown that gets Stuart Hogg into that space. Yes. So it's nip that in the bud yeah. and Stuart yeah. Hogg doesn't get the ball. And, and Finn it. Russell also likes to tack a lot off turnover ball. And he mightn't be getting as much turnover ball. I wouldn't have thought. They'll get well, to him. We should do it. It should be. You, you both think it'll be relatively straightforward, or it'll be. I'm not relatively sure it'll be as straightforward as, as, Gavin, as Gavin thinks. Wayne Barnes, the referee. Yeah. There's oh. a lot of there's a lot of rain forecast. Yeah. You know, ugh, all things that un- unnerve you. But I do think, come the full time whistle, it'll be um, a lele blow. All right. Uh, to see if Ireland can win because Ireland can win the title on Saturday. It's almost yeah. been forgotten about. You know yeah. what I mean? All right, lads. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you again. Cheers. In the Irish Times weekend. Five years after the election of Pope Francis, Patsy McGarry reports from Rome on the success and failures of the pontiff's ambitions to reform the Catholic Church. Jerry Thorney and Matt Williams evaluate Ireland's chances of defeating a renewed Scotland in the penultimate showdown. And don't miss the Gloss Magazine's special spring feature, Fashion Forward Nation. The Irish Times weekend, your weekends in good hands. What else are we going to watch this weekend, Pat? Well, not this weekend exactly, but next week, the um, next Tuesday, the Cheltenham Racing Festival starts. It'll be indeed uh, on TV3 and Racing UK. I see you getting excited already. Um, <laughs> next Friday off, Pat. Yeah. Once we get the podcast done here next Friday, I'm out the gap no, for the Gold plan. Cup. 
Um, well, 20,000 Irish people are going to go and uh, those of us left behind are going to spend 100 million on betting. Now, that's between us. It's not. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, not I, each. Yeah, not each. No. And it doesn't take into account the 200 we're going to win back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And um, we're, we also will do that um, annoying thing of we'll count up all the Irish winners that we have next week and we'll count the English winners and then we'll have a make up competition. It is annoying. That we won. It is annoying, isn't it? Mm. It is kind of fake. It's completely fake. Yeah. It's 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 a competition that the other runner doesn't know they're in. <laughs> well, there's a bit of that. It has been ginned up in recent years. Like there's, a, I went to Cheltenham between '04 and '09 every year. Uh, I worked at it, and like they did, the English people did kind of go. Well, the Irish, the Irish make Cheltenham, and they do to a certain extent. You know, it is it does bring a, an added dimension to it. But this carry on of you know the tricolour being thrown to the jockey as he's coming into the winning enclosure. It all all always felt entirely ginned up. Especially, like, I remember those years when, like, John Joe O'Neill would would have a a horse. The horse would have been bred in Ireland. John Joe O'Neill is from Ireland, would have been ridden by Tony McCoy and owned by J.P. McManus. But it went down as a British winner just because the grass at eight in the morning was on English soil, you know? Like, th- that's just preposterously arbitrary way of deciding. And it's not as if, w- we almost make out that English people don't back Irish horses. That's but all. If you think that English punters are going to Cheltenham and not looking at Willie Mullins and Gordon Elliott and thinking, yeah, this is who I'm... Or beyond that, looking at Ruby Walsh. Yeah. They, they, that's who, the English punters at Cheltenham love Ruby Walsh. <laughs> Roar the day <laughs> when uh, that uh, Kaiser Chief song was out, you know, the Ruby, Ruby, Ruby. Oh, yeah. No, no person in the world hated that song more than Ruby was <laughs> because of English punters roaring it at him as he was going down the chute at Cheltenham. <laughs> I am kind of fascinated with Ruby though for next week because uh, he broke his leg in November. It, he's just timed his comeback to be back for this week essentially mm. he's been champion jo- jockey nine of the last ten years I think it is leading jockey yeah and um, so obviously there will be a lot of money on him but you'd have to wonder about the the rustiness of coming in like that like we were presuming that he's going to get through this weekend's racing and will be fine for next week mm. and will probably be running in on Getterbird in the Supreme Novices yeah. in the first race next Tuesday on Tuesday yeah yeah it's interesting like as you say this isn't the first time he's had a winter um uh, out before Cheltenham and has faced kind of race against time to get back for it. Um, it's interesting. I talked to him about this once about what it meant, you know, when he come back into a festival, uh, having missed all that racing. Uh, and he said, physically, it's not a problem. You know, physically, he his, his body will be mended. His, you know, match fitness, for want of a better term, will be fine. But he said that the one thing that where it has an effect is that he's going into races not exactly knowing everything. A jockey at that level needs to know. They need information about how other horses that they're racing against will travel, who, where they like to be, where their jockeys like them to be, where, where they like to make their move. All that little small tactical nuance stuff that we wouldn't have a notion about, mm. wouldn't have the faintest breeze about. And I remember him telling me that that was the big thing that, that 
um, that was the big effect when you get to the Cheltenham Festival because there's no margin for error. There's no room for, for missing a break. There's no... You need to have worked out the races in your head, especially the big ones. Like, you know, he's riding, say, footpad in the Arkell on uh, Tuesday. Arkell's a great race this year. There's three really good novice chasers. There's Petty Mouchoir of Henry de Bromheads and St. Calvados, an English uh, horse. And Ruby hasn't ridden against them this year. You know, he yeah. doesn't know exactly what they're going to do. He has his theories, but he hasn't... He won't. He will go into that race on footpad, having an idea of what he's going to do, but he won't know if it'll work until it works. And that's the big thing about missing missing so many races, missing so many months. Because that's the thing. You'd know that he'd be worried about his own horses, mm. and would he be lacking knowledge on them? But to take it another level away, that about knowing knowledge on the other horses, the mm. opposition, because he, he might ride Fahin. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there. he hasn't. They haven't chosen yet. He'll be b- between Faheen and York Hill in the in the champion hurdle. You know, I like and like that's a choice in itself. Neither horse has had a good preparation. They're not really sure where they're going with either of them at this point. Like it's mad. You kind of look at the champion hurdle lineup now, and if you'd have said a year ago that Faheen would be going into it at six to one and York Hill at ten to one, you'd be absolutely you'd be going, "What the hell happened there?" Like. Mm. Both of them, you would imagine, fit and at the top of their game would be need. It'd be an amazing champion hurdle, but it's people think it it's the worst race of the week at this point. They think Bouverdeur is going to piss away with it, you know. Um, As regards next week, we're thinking about putting on a lucky fifteen here. This is what we're going to do. We're going to do the added time lucky fifteen. Uh, now, I think we, you should explain what a lucky fifteen is. For well, people. hang on. We, I'll explain first of all that the health warning to this is that. Uh, we are mug punters. Let nobody have any notion that we have the slightest clue what we're talking about here. This is... I I really love Cheltenham, but I go on other people's information. I don't know enough to, to judge what horses are good or what horses are bad. But um, saying that, a lucky 15 is you pick four horses. That uh, Those four horses are put together in every conceivable combination Singles, doubles, trebles, accumulator, all that sort of stuff. There's 15 bets. Make your stake. A one euro stake. Cost 15 Cost euros. 15 euro. So here's our, here's our out of time lucky 15. We're going to make everybody rich. So we're going to go with Footpad in the Arkle on Tuesday. Okay. That's five to four. Apple Shakira, which I figured you'd like the name of. Great name. Uh, is running in the Triumph Hurdle on Friday. Uh, she's 11 to four. Road to Respect, we're going to back in the Gold Cup. Noel Mead's horse, uh, Jiggenstein horse, he's 10 to 1. It's a really good bet. Like I am told. Okay. A, good, a, a very good each way bet, at least in the Gold Cup. But we're going to back him on the nose. And any second now, uh, in the Novice Chase, the Close Brothers Novice Chase on Tuesday, uh, he's 7 to 1. Uh, Ruby could be riding it. It's Ted Walsh horse. So uh, Ruby hasn't had a winner for Ted Walsh at the festival in could be God I don't know if he's ever had one it could yeah I don't know if he's ever had one for him at the festival so that could be a great story so he's 7 to 1 now I know you want to know Pat what does this all work out at yes what it works out at is we're going to back him on the nose we're not going to do it each way so we're going to back him on the nose if all four win we're going to win 1666 euro and 25 cent on what stake 
15 quid. On a 15 quid stake. Okay. Yeah. And the Irish Times will reimburse all unsuccessful bets. The Irish Times, under no circumstances, <laughs> will reimburse even my bet. <laughs> Never mind the people who are listening to this for free. So that's certainly not going to happen. Excellent. One way or the other. So if this all comes off, no podcast next week. No podcast next week, no. Right, well, before all that, we have a big GA weekend coming up. Ian O'Reardon's in studio with us, uh, and we'll talk a little hurling in a while. But uh, Dara O'Shea is on the line from down in Kerry. Dara, Dublin Kerry playing in Crook Park on Sunday. It's a big test for their young guys. The league has been all about their young players. Uh, what have they brought to Kerry that wasn't really there before, do you think? They've brought a new dimension. They've, um, you know, they've, they've basically Kerry are in a kind of a transitional period at the moment where you're trying to bring blood new guys. I mean, you still have Kieran Donnie lurking in the background to come back at some stage, but you really need, you need to find one or two scoring forwards, and that's the whole idea of bringing these guys in. Young Clifford, Sean O'Shea, you know, um, these guys are the, basically the future of Kerry and the. the Division 1 has been so competitive over the last number of years. It's the closest thing you get to championship fair. And really, it's it's a real kind of a betting period for, for these Kerry players. Now, they, they, they're getting... They're getting to know a lot of fellas fairly quick as well. I mean, it's not. It hasn't been. It hasn't been an easy spin for them, but it's because there's so many changes on the Kerry setup. It hasn't been a, a comfortable ride for a lot of these young fellas, and that's why the Dubs. I think this. Uh, the you know, Storm Emma couldn't have come at a better time for Kerry to regroup and try and try and get the house in order before facing the Dubs. Because had we faced the Dubs on the back of of the Galway game, it wouldn't have been pretty. I don't think. And how do people see them down there? Are they are they willing to allow them make a few mistakes along the way, or is there pressure on them already? Oh, there's pressure. I mean, there's, there's, there's no room for error at all. I mean, there's there's pressure, to them. and is, uh, the patience isn't a virtue that we're we're blessed with down here either. But it's it's look, it's I. The best thing, you, the best way I can describe it at the moment to you, Malachi, is that you have to look at it, you have to look at it in terms of, you know, you look at the top team in the country at all times, be it in hurling or be it in football. And at the moment, Dublin are by far and away the top team. Um, Mayo, you know, close second, and Mayo treat the league in a different format to to Dublin. Dublin just kind of has such an abundance of talent that it's 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 you know it's seamless for them and as well as that I mean you for example you, I, I, I just give you an example as to how I, what I'm talking about you look at Conor Callaghan that has come in there into, the, into this Dublin team and you look at for example both Sean O'Shea and, and Clifford and you see these guys these three players are equally as talented in my opinion mm. equally as talented but what you have with Dublin is you have a very strong supporting cast by that you look at the Kerry's situation at the minute they're still kind of up in the air with Kelly and Murphy and goals your midfield is a bit broken up disjointed Jack Barry David Moore is missing Barry O'Sullivan has stepped in um, then you look at the forwards then as well I mean Ganey's there you're, you're missing a couple of more forwards you know you've, you're, what I'm saying to you here is that Kerry are changing a lot at the minute they've got new defenders in they've got you know they've got whereas you were guaranteed nearly 75 to 80% possession Mm. with Cluxton. At the minute, you've got the Rolls-Royce of midfielders by far and away hit the shoulders above in Brian Finton. You've got good cover. Then James McCarthy is stepping back because Keno Sullivan is missing at centre-back. You've got Michael Darren McCauley. And then as well as that... They have plenty going on. Ah, you, like, I mean, you look at you look at Conor Callan, for example. In playing most of your games in the top grounds, you're not going into the, you're not going into heavy pitches. You're not going in. You're 
either in Crow Park or in your own, one of the top grounds in the country. Mm. On top of that, then, you're playing with probably Paul Mannion, who's, who's probably the top, the number one forward in the country at the minute. You're playing with Kieran Kilkenny, who's coming into his own. You know, you've Paddy Andrews, you've all these fellas who are playing at 100 miles an hour. And, like, had you, if you put Clifford or Sean O'Shea into that company at the minute, it would be, you know, it would be seamless. Whereas Kerry, we're yeah. not guaranteed possession with our keepers. We're not guaranteed with midfield at the minute. And we're just going through a transition and we have to find our feet. Although in saying that, Ian, like the likes of Sean O'Shea are doing grand, you know. He, he is, he's really, out, out of all of them that, that I've seen, him and, and Michal Burns, I think Burns is going to make a serious player. But Sean O'Shea has, has taken a lot of responsibility for a young guy. For sure, yeah. And I mean, I agree with everything Dara said there and especially that word transition. I don't, the big, the big counties don't really like that word transition but there's mm. no doubt that Kerry have been maybe forced to put more of those young ones in and uh, whereas Dublin can kind of uh, drip feed it a little bit but uh, I think the point as well I mean Dara said as well about Dublin being the top team in the country I mean people talk about the Kerry-Dublin rivalry and um, you know it's, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a contradiction because the rivalry if you look at it like I mean maybe a bit in the 1970s it was it was there but 1980s 1990s was, was all was all Kerry yeah. and it's only really swung since since 2011 and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the confidence now that Dublin are playing with and you look at the like I saw him against Donegal a couple of weeks ago and like Donegal would, it was a one point game going into the last 10 minutes and Dublin they kind of slowed it down and sped it up at the same time like they're playing with this incredible confidence which maybe Kerry are lacking a little bit as well. So I think, you know, that rivalry thing at the moment, it's it's definitely it's definitely in Dublin's favour. And I think that, that might have a bearing on Sunday as well. Darrell, look at, at the the funny thing about um, you know, everybody has said that, you know, Kerry doing a lot of experimenting in this league. They've actually played an awful lot of the same players. Like Fitzmaurice has started I think thirteen of thirteen players have started either three or all four games. Like they they mixing and matching he he's basically chosen these guys and said, right, you're our guys, you're going to have a go. What do you think uh, about how others will be repatriated in as the summer comes along? Um, you look at last year's format in the way Kerry played. Kerry went at the league last year. They brought they brought a number of young players in, you know, the likes of Jason Foley and these guys, mm-hmm. and then probably changed back. I think he's going to take, I think he's going to go with a lot of these guys as opposed to not going with them after mm-hmm. the league. We were, A lot of the Kerry players you know, the Killian Youngs and a lot of those guys came back after the league. I think Eamon Fitzmaurice and his management team will probably go with the younger guys this year because, I mean, it's, it's you know, a lot of the older guys, it didn't work out from later on in the summer uh, for, for one reason or another. And at the minute, like, I mean, Kerry, we, there's a, the, the reason a lot of the, the Kerry supporters are probably impatient at the minute is because you've got a lot of... Um, We've won four minors in a row, but that doesn't automatically, you know, minor teams, my experience of minor teams, if you pull one or two out of winning minor team or even, I mean, Kerry hadn't won a minor, I think, since since 94 for many, many years. Mm. And yet we probably had one of, you know, we had a purple patch there in the middle of all that where we never got, we never got minors out of it. But you'll always pull a couple of players out of under 21 or or in around that. And that's what Kerry needs to look at. I don't think we're, we're focusing too much on all these young stars coming through. Which is fine. There's some excellent players there, but you're not going to get uh, you're not going to get a dream team out of them straight away. It's an interesting job that Fitzmaurice has now, Ian, because he's sort of had two jobs in his in his time with Kerry. You know, he took over in 2012, and he had to kind of deal with the end of great team and start to build a new one. And but with, with people kind of giving him a bit of you know a bit of time and a bit of patience because he maybe didn't have very much at his disposal, even though he got an All Ireland out of it. Now. Now he is being trusted with all these young players. And, like, 
you can get this wrong. You can, and you can be remembered as the guy who didn't manage to do it. Yeah, and Dara's right about the word patience. There's not much patience to carry in a good in a good way. And I, I, I probably should correct myself there slightly when when I talk about the rivalry thing. I mean, obviously. Kerry did win the league, the league final last Indeed, year, yeah, but we yeah. saw the effort that, and what what it meant to, to Kerry to, mm. to actually get over the line that day. Whereas Dublin, you could see it; they just they just brushed themselves down and went on about. It, and then we saw the summer they had. Whereas Kerry, for whatever reason, were completely flat come come, come the summer. So I think that's another challenge as well: that the, the timing of it and how to actually time your run. But but you're right, and I think I mean Dara mentioned all those minor players. Like I mean, there's nothing there's not there's nothing more guaranteed in, in any sport than like you know the the, the waste of talent. And I mean that in a kind of a you know there's mm. so much talent at underage we'll in all sports. Out the side, yeah. Yeah. And they, they just don't make it through so for whatever reason. So, But I think for Kerry as well, now, so, Sunday for me, more than any game, they need to show that little bit more of a confidence. I mean, you go back to the Galway game there last couple of weeks ago and they had kind of Galway, they were still in the game a few minutes ago, but there was a little bit of sort of lack of confidence the way mm. Kerry were finishing that game compared to Dublin. I mean, Dublin could be three or four points down in the last five minutes and you'll still think they're going to they're win that game. So it's it's as much a kind of a psychological thing now as, as much as the, the physical and the talent that's there. And I think that's mm. that's what makes Sunday such an intriguing game as well. You're worried, I'd say, Dara. Are you? You're worried, worried, worried people down there. Are you? Um, not really. I, I, like Ian was talking about, you know, patience and that, and you know, we're all very aware of how impatient the Kerry supporters are, and that they want to demand all this and demanding is great. Now it can work two ways for a player. I remember when I was starting out back in was it 93, 94 with the Kerry team and we were going through a very bad patch as well and it can work two ways it can break you or make you and by breaking you or making you I mean you're going to be getting like as young players in the Kerry team it's not a there's a lot of kind of noise about it and a lot of abuse about it and whatnot for the players at the minute and they're getting all kinds of abuse from their own supporters and all, all of the above but it can work two ways it can work you can make you mentally very strong you can just batten down the hatches and the guys that are kicking you up the backside might be slapping you on the back later on in the summer mm. and you take all that with a pinch of salt. So you, this is a very formative period for these young players and I wouldn't be... The one worry I'd have at the minute like is in Dublin going so well, that's why I think this week's grace for Kerry has been great to, to, to kind of to regroup and whatnot. I think Kerry actually played better against the better teams. When I say the better teams now, Kerry don't play as well against ultra-defensive teams, whereas they can express themselves that bit better against the likes of Dublin Mayo, mm. you know, Cork and these teams that play probably an open, more open brand of football. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but ultimately there's only a handful of teams that can win the Ireland at the end of the day. So these are the teams that should be meeting anyway. Mm. So I would say that there's a bit of shadow boxing going on because the reality of with this league you're kind of if you if you kind of get Dublin's number two early in the league, you're kind you're really hedging for a semi final or a final game against Dublin. Be it if you're from Mayo or Kerry or probably to a lesser extent, you know, you look at the Donegal's or you look at the maybe Tyrone have gone back a bit yeah. in the last Somewhere while. somewhere you can give them one shot and they're gone. You can a soccer punch because the, the quality of this Dublin team and the reality mm-hmm. of it is it's gonna to have to be a soccer punch at the moment. Well, look, we'll, uh, I'll be there on Sunday. I wouldn't miss it. And uh, thanks a million, Dara, for coming on and talking to us about it. Not at all. We'll get you again sometime. Ian, we'll move on to uh, the Hurling League. And there's uh, there's plenty of games that matter to a certain extent on, on Sunday in Division 1A. But Division 1B is the really interesting game. Um, it's essentially you know, a, a final between Galway and Limerick. Uh, one or other of them, whoever wins it, will go up. It's um, a serious game for, for both of them. I know Galway 
kind of are making a virtue out of being down there, but that's really not the case for Limerick. They want out of there. Yeah, I think there was a headline in our paper during the week. Uh, Limerick are knock, knock, knocking on Division One A's door. Now I don't like we don't like the headlines, by the way. But but the point there is like they've become so close. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. You surely <laughs> had something to do with that being the biggest Dylan fan in the well, uh, in the building. W- certainly, I think I think it's relevant uh, in this context because uh, if you could go back and trace the trail, like 2011s when they rejigged the league, uh, there was used to, used to be Division Two. Then they went One A, One B. Limerick had actually been promoted that year and then they ended up in Division 1, mm. 1B essentially. Um, since then, they've lost out on points difference. They've lost out on the head-to-heads. They've lost out. There used to be a promotional playoff. They lost that. So they've literally been, this is their, this is their seventh or eighth season mm. of trying to get up. Um, as you say, Division 1, 1B has kind of been a sideshow so far because they've all, they've won Galway and Limerick have both gone unbeaten up until Sunday. It's an absolute winner takes all. There's no, there's no points difference. There's no home and away thing. It's just whoever wins on Sunday. And I'm not quite sure happened, if, if it's a draw, what will happen there. Um, but we'll, I'm sure the GA have got some <laughs> contingency plan for that one. But it's a fascinating game. But as you say as well, like there's pros and cons to Division to Division One One B. I think it certainly suited Galway yeah. after the All. I mean, I'll, don't forget they won the league last year out of Division One B. Um, and post All Ireland, I mean the holidays and this and that, and they've been without Joe Canning and David Burke a lot. Of players for a long time, so it suited them just to go back and yeah, and, and it regroup. suits different counties in different p- points in their cycle. Like it suited Wexford last year, and they came out of there lashed all the way up. It suited Clare the year that they won the league from there and and played on from there. But it really does not suit Limerick anymore. They're yeah. done there. They've had their. They've had enough. They had enough three four years ago. I yeah. remember writing stories about them having enough being in that league three years ago. They, they, they're mad to get out of it. It is, again, we're talking to Kevin Downs during the week as well, the Napiercy player. And don't forget, they've been without, I think it's 10 of the Napiercy mm. players who are getting ready for Saturday week in Croke Park for the All-Ireland Club final. That's a, that's a huge number of players, a few UL players missing as well. But he was making the point as well, like as you say, they all the players want to get up. They want to be playing Kilkenny, Wexford, Cork, Tip, whoever, on, on the more regular basis. And, you know, it's all very well to say that it's nice being in Division 1B, but we were talking earlier about the championship. Like, when you get mm. into that new round-robin Munster championship, and that's when, like, these teams will have played each other. You know, you'll have had Tip, Clare, have all had, all have had to go with each other, whereas Limerick will come up relatively untested with a team mm. who may not have played together. So I think all things considered, like, um, yeah, Limerick need this, but going down to Pierce Stadium on Sunday, you know, All-Ireland champions, and it's their first real game where Galway want to show why, they're, why they are why they are All-Ireland mm. champions. So <laughs> I really, I kind of fear for Limerick in, in some ways. You kind of hope for the best, but yeah. fear for the worst. You feel sorry for them to a certain extent sometimes. Uh, like, they're... There are kind of, I, I read the great, they have a great uh, hurling writer in the Limerick leader, Jerome O'Connell, and he was writing during the week about, uh, he was at a Hearty Cup game recently, um, Arts School Reach were playing, and he said that there was 36 pen picks for the, the Arts School Reach players, uh, and they all had to name their favourite hurler, and only three of them named a Limerick hurler. Wow, yeah. Like, there were hurlers from seven other counties named. They, they just don't, they don't get the time to, to develop heroes. Like, as you say, they play their league campaigns with no Napiercy players and like, Limerick clubs have done well. I think this is like five out of the last seven years they've been, they've been playing, they've been Munster champions. Yes. And so, they're without them in the early part of the year. They, by the time they get to re, reintegrate them, the league is, their, their fate has been decided anyway, one way or the other. They're putting them all together like, Way after all the other teams are getting their getting their act together, and then they arrive at the summer and they're considered, you know, the the least important team in Munster. It's it is tough, and it, it is something that they they just 
getting getting even even on a financial thing. I saw a line during the week that it cost them something like a hundred grand a year in lost revenue because nobody comes to Division One B matches rather than Division One A matches. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot lot riding on Sundays, you say. But you're right about Limerick. But don't forget, like when they won Munster was it 20, 2014 and mm. 20, 2013, Sorry, um, you know, get a huge response to that, but it didn't kick on. And and again, one of the points Kevin Downs was making that if, if Limerick do win, like the, the the supporters will come out. Like they are absolutely madly passionate about 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 hurling. And he was saying a lot of them have kind of drifted off. They're following Munster rugby now, and it's that kind of like a bit of a bandwagon thing going on there. But but they are like I mean you'll see if they do win if they win anything at all they'll be out and obviously there was the under 21 success there they've had minor success but yeah I think of all the counties in Munster they, they're, they're, they're certainly I wouldn't say unsung heroes but certainly the, the forgotten heroes for the reason you mentioned like I mean who are, who are the star Limerick hurlers yeah. right now and it's, it's, it is you would struggle to, you know, to fill a 15 The thing is if they win on Sunday and they do go up people might actually look back at this league and say that it's been very beneficial for them because like you said they've been down 10 to Pierce Glads for the duration of the league they were down 7 of their team from there were seven Limerick lads played for UL in the Fitzgibbon Cup final and the integration of those guys is important we'll say Garrod Hegarty was spectacularly good at centre back in the Fitzgibbon, Fitzgibbon Cup final but he'll probably be playing in the forwards for them at the moment at the moment they they have an awful lot of talent uh, to pick from mm. it's a question of getting it ready and the thing is that they know that everybody that they're going to meet in the Munster Championship round robin is going to be hitting the, the ground running while playing at a high level and they're the ones that are coming in with a kind of a question mark above them. Yeah, it's like what Dara was saying about the Kerry football team. Like the talent is there, they know that there's a lot of young lads, but I mean bringing them into a team where you know they're all kind of in the same position is difficult compared to a team like like a Dublin or whatever where, where it's established. So but I mean there's no doubt. I mean it's it's you know it's it's the potential is there. And uh, but again going back to Sunday's game, I mean it's 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 a uh, it's a kind of a you you, say, you do feel sorry for them to be in this position now. They must be they must be Galway in in Galway and um, I think I'm not quite sure. I mean Joe Canning still is still on the sidelines. Joe, Joe hasn't played yet, no. Yeah. Uh, but, we'll but, see him but like this is a real old style uh, recovery from an All Ireland by Galway. You know, this is what teams used to do. You know, just hide away for three or four months, then emerge. Uh, you know, near the end of the league and, and, yeah. and you know, having sweated the the whole winter exactly, out of them. Exactly. And you wonder is there is there a kind of a slight thought in the back of Michal Donahue's head? You know, maybe maybe we're better off staying down in 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 one B. You know, but but I don't think. Well, that's gonna... the rubber's going to have to meet the road eventually, though. You know, they're mm. like the. They're going to be in the knockout of of the league. They're going to get some serious games coming soon, anyway. So they may as well decide that this is their their first really properly serious game because um, you know the Leinster Championship is whatever it's it's six seven weeks away yes. really. You know it, it, you know it's they get through these uh, knockout stages of the league, then there's a month off, and then it's bang 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 four games in five weeks, and you know. There's, they have no time to be, you know, deciding that they're going to get on it then. Like, they, yes. they would want to sort of get after it soon. It's almost comical how perfect the league has been for them. Mm. They've kept a perfect 100% record, but nobody's talking about them. No. They've probably found two or three players that they want, like Shane Cooney is looking good, Brian Concanon. Definitely, they're added, they've added to their 20 for the championship, shall we say. And, uh, and nobody's talking about them at not all. A bit. Nobody's gone to their games. Nobody knows who's playing well, who's not playing well, anything, you know. <laughs> to quote a phrase, though, they might meet again. The, the beauty of this uh, hurling league uh, qualifiers, like, I mean, they'll both go into quarterfinals mm. after Sunday. Remember? So I think the way the semifinals pairing could be, they could meet, they could actually meet a week later in the semifinals or the, or the final, depending on how it goes. So it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating like that. But I think, you know, it's all, about, it's all about promotion on Sunday for both teams. Big time, yeah. Well, thanks a million, Ian. Thanks for coming in. Uh, thanks to Darrow Shea, who was with us earlier. Uh, Jerry and Gavin, who were talking about the rugby. Uh, 
to Declan and to Pat and to everybody that's listening. If you want to get in touch, you can get me on Twitter. You can get Pat on Twitter. Uh, our email is at a time at irishtimes.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again next week. <laughs>